Well, hello and welcome to Mountain Park Podcast. My name is Spencer and I'm one of the pastors at Mountain Park Church. And I had the honor and privilege of preaching on chapters 18 and 19 in the book of Revelation this past Sunday. And I am so thankful for the opportunity to have done that. I love the scriptures so deeply and I cherish them and, and, and I'm very thankful for this opportunity. So. As you would know, we are nearing the end of the book of Revelation, only a few chapters left. And in these chapters that I had the chance to speak on, we are given another vision um, that Jesus gives John of kind of the end times of the destruction of some of these characters that we've been introduced to in the past few weeks. So we, in these chapters, we see the destruction of Babylon, we see the destruction of the beast and the destruction of the false prophet. And I mentioned this in my message, but um, there is so many references to Old Testament, if not every line and every word and every verse in these chapters reference an Old Testament idea um, and reality of the destruction of literal Babylon. And this is a mirror image of the destruction of spiritual Babylon in the church age. Um, that we see, and I didn't have time to go into those, but I recommend that if you have the chance that you look into those references as they are so powerful to see that everything in the book of Revelation is not brand new. It's uh, a retelling of the story of Jesus and kind of finishing off, as people say, it's the exclamation mark of the whole scripture. And uh, in this message, we see tons of contrasting themes between the Babylon and the Bride of Christ. We see the contrast between what we're introduced to as the marriage supper of the Lamb and the supper of God, which is basically your welcoming into eternity or your welcoming into judgment. And I felt the Holy Spirit and scriptures leading me to give a call to the Christian and the non-Christian alike, that they would receive a similar warning that the great angel in chapter 18 gives to break ties with Babylon and break ties with anything that would cause them to compromise their faith and uh, be welcomed into the marriage supper of the Lamb and heed that warning so that you can escape God's wrath and judgment. And uh, I just pray that as you listen to this message, that the Spirit of God would be working in your heart, not only that it would bless you, but it would call you to repentance if there need be, and that you would know Jesus in greater ways and you would surrender your life to him in greater ways. So uh, yeah, enjoy this message, and I pray that you are blessed by it. Um, how many of you before this series would say that you had uh, fear or trepidation approaching scripture of Revelation, but now have had some sort of understanding and this series has brought in clarity, would you be able to raise your hands if that's true for you? It's true for me. Um, I I've read Revelation many times, but this series has been such a blessing. Amen? I we got a message on our, uh, one of our social media platforms that one of our former church family members is in like North Carolina and has been blessed by this message. So it's been so great to see what God has done through that. Okay, we have a few moments together for chapters 18 and 19. Just a little bit of recap and understanding about these beasts and the dragon and Babylon and all this stuff, just so that we're all on the same page before we hop into it. So there's four major characters that represent 
the enemy and his forces and his demonic forces. These last few chapters that we've been reading has been about Babylon. And uh, I think it was chapter 17 was the image of the great prostitute. Um, Babylon is best described as the demonically inspired and empowered economic, sorry, economic and religious system which exists throughout the church age. So it's, it's the world throughout government and economic and money and influencing not just non-Christians, but believers to compromise their faith and go the way of the dragon. The second beast, I'm going in backwards order by which we've been revealed. The second beast, which is also known as the false prophet, which we read about in chapter 19, uses deception to persuade the church to follow the claims of the first beast. It is at work within the church when the leaders begin to take their direction from the values of pagan culture rather than live the word of God. The first beast is the devil's servant that counterfeits Christ and has been given worldwide rulership to corrupt governments, kings, and rulers to oppose and persecute the church. All three of those images of the the first beast, the second beast, which is the false prophet, and the great prostitute, which is Babylon, have all been destroyed in the chapters that we just read, because Jesus wins. Amen? Amen? Amen. Now, the dragon is the devil himself, which we're Pastor Andrew's going to teach on that next week, which you're going to want to be here because we're going to talk about the millennium and it's going to be unreal. So the, the dragon is the devil himself and, and the very essence of evil in nature. I want to make a few comments on chapter 18 before we dig deep into chapter 19 together. Um, almost every single literal word or line in both chapters here, is a reference to the Old Testament. It's a reference to actual Babylon falling or any near uh, major or minor prophets around Babylon falling. I am not going to reference every single Old Testament verse because we would be here till dinner time. Um, But just so you know, the imagery that is used in the scripture is not new. Anything and everything in Revelation is not new. It's a reality of what has been prophesied all throughout Scripture and is now at the culmination of all things. So every one of that is that. And I want to make a comment about God's justice because this is what we're diving into. God is judging Babylon. He's judging the beasts, both beasts, and he's judging the dragon. And I want to make a comment that we all approach this Scripture with the presupposition that God is just. Amen? that he is just. And uh, reading these scriptures may be uncomfortable and unsettling to you, but I encourage you as I've encouraged myself, the scripture says he is just, that his judgments are true and faithful. And I forbid myself from presupposing what I think should be the right judgments of a loving, true God onto scripture. What, What God says is justice is justice. Amen? Amen. Awesome. So the destruction of Babylon few comments on that. Uh, the, that one of those first, uh, in the first verse, it says, fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. This is a scripture that's already spoken in Revelation chapter 14, I believe. And I love the absolute destruction of Babylon to come. Amen. It's used in the past tense, fallen, fallen, not falling, but Babylon will fall. And uh, in 
verses four and five. Pastor Andrew made a comment about this at the end of his sermon last week. There is a heed that a great angel comes and he gives warning to those that are within Babylon. And this is found in verse four of chapter 18. Then I heard another voice from heaven saying, come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues for her sins are heaped high as the heaven. God has remembered her iniquities. Babylon will be judged and all those who have made agreements and parts with Babylon, the world's economic infrastructure of financial and uh, ungodly ways who have compromised their faith will receive the judgment. Babylon is a counter image to the body of Christ, or rather the bride of Christ, which we will get into. Babylon is not just a thing. It's not just the world structure as the body or bride of Christ would be a corporate thing. It's comprised of the individual's involved and make agreements with Babylon, just as each and every one of us who confess Jesus as Lord are individual entities that make up the bride of Christ. Everything in here is a demonic or evil counterfeit to the reality of Jesus that the devil uses to distract the saints from compromising their faith in the last days. In, um, so this section is broken down into the prophecy that Babylon will be destroyed. And then it's broken down into the mourning of those who have taken part in Babylon, the kings, the merchant, the mariners, and most, almost all of them weep and mourn over their own financial loss because of the destruction of Babylon. They weep and mourn self-centeredly over what they have lost. And again, this is a counterfeit to the rejoicing of the saints who glorify God for him being just. So each one of those, the, the kings, the merchants, and the mariners mourn over their economic and financial loss. In uh, verse 16, it says, um, the merchants warn, alas, alas, for the great city that was clothed in fine linen in purple and scarlet, adorned with gold, with jewels and with pearls. We're gonna see that this again is a counterfeit to the reality of the bride of Christ who is clothed in white, pure linen. So God pronounces Babylon's destruction. All of those who take part in Babylon weep and mourn over Babylon's destruction and their own loss through the judgment of Babylon. Now God actually speaks forth the, uh, at the end of chapter 18, speaks forth the judgment of Babylon and uh, pronounces that for, um, what verse is it? I don't remember, but Babylon is judged, it says, for her sorcery. Sorcery is linked with idolatry, sexual immorality, which has been used to describe Babylon many times, and, uh, and sorcery, idolatry, and sexual immorality. And that's the reality that those of us who have taken part, and again, that heed, which I'll come back to later in my message, come out of her, lest you take part in her sins, is not just, if anything, I'm applying it to if there are any unbelievers here today to give you a call to come to know Jesus. But that, that cry come out of her is for believers who have compromised their faith and taken part in the world's religion of, of Babylon and the economic system. So that could look like many things, idolatry of people or objects, of money in your business, in your family, 
sexual immorality of any kind, injustice, violence, deception or counterfeit, and financial or economical compromise. All of these things, this heed, this warning is to Christians who have compromised their faith. And I'm gonna repeat to you the same warning that the great angel gave. Come out of her, lest you take part in her judgment and destruction. We move on to chapter 19, the beautiful rejoicing of the saints. Now this is where we see the stark contrast, right? Um, the, the kings, the merchants, and the mariners, they weep and mourn over what they lost through the destruction of Babylon. But the saints of God rejoice over the fact that God himself is just. It's not self-centered. It's not focused. It's that God is just. He's true and he's faithful. Amen? Amen. It, hallelujah. He's worthy. Glory and power belong to our God. His judgments are true. They constantly are not focused on what God has done. And God, the scripture is riddled with the fact that God has vindicated the blood of the saints through their persecution and martyrdom. Yet still they worship and glorify God alone for his justice and his right judgment to vindicate themselves and to judge the wicked. I wanna read a big portion of scripture that we've already read, um, starting in 19. Verse seven, let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory for the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted to her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. Then I fell down at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold the testimony of Jesus worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Water break. <sighs> it's hilarious. It's not hilarious. It's interesting to me, the just juxtaposition of this one line. The marriage of the lamb has come. His bride has made herself ready, but it was granted to her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. So the bride has made herself ready or God has given her the clothes to make herself ready. But the scripture teaches us that it's both. It's both. And, and I wanna make a comment this transition is not just like a new thing. The bride has made herself ready by how? The bride has made herself ready by persevering through persecution, through rejecting compromise of Babylon's world system to be pure and righteous before God. That's how the bride makes herself ready. She stays faithful, amen? So the bride has made herself ready, yet also the Lord has given herself the opportunity, sorry, given herself the clothes to be ready. The reality here is both. And this, this reality teaches us the same thing that the spirit of prophet, sorry, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. We've all heard that verse before, right? I had no idea what it meant until this week. I never really understood it. I always thought it was a cool line. I've heard it in like a bunch of songs or sermons before, but I don't really understand what it means. Here's what it means. The Holy Spirit gives us the ability to witness to who Jesus is. The Holy Spirit has given us the ability to witness to Jesus, and that's the righteous deeds of the saints. It's not as much what you do, although what you do is 
very much important. It's how you live. Your witness to Christ is not just in what you say, but it's in your character, in your heart. What this teaches is that a transformed life is the necessary means to the work of the Spirit within us. And if you don't see that, question whether the Spirit has transformed your life. I don't mean that to offend you. I mean that to be sincere. If you don't look in the mirror and see a transformed life from the one next to you, the unbeliever next to you, or from yourself 20 years ago, question whether or not you have submitted yourself fully to the Lordship of Christ. Because transformed life is a necessary means to your justification. It's not for your justification, hear me. I'm not saying you work for righteousness. I'm saying you work because of righteousness. Amen? Amen. Amen. The righteousness in which that we get to stand before Jesus is how we live. That's how we put on the white clothes of linen, the priestly garments, if you will, that he has given us. That's how we are righteous before him. Now, the spirit of prophet, sorry, I did it again. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. It's such a beautiful reality that, again, our life and character witness to who Jesus is because of the work of the spirit within our own. David Campbell uh, says this, a prophetic people points others to Christ by our words and by our lives as lived in obedience to scripture and God's law. What this spirit of prophecy means is that each and every one of us as the bride of Christ are a prophetic people. Amen? It doesn't mean that each and every one of us are prophets or have the office of a prophet, but each and every one of us prophesy into existence the testimony of Jesus through how we live. Right? Amen. Now we see Jesus who has invited us to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And this is a contradiction, sorry, a contrast to the marriage supper of God, which we will get to. This is the, it's a new world. This is at the culmination of all things, end times. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. This is the, the perfection of the Beatitudes. This is the official blessing of future eternity. Are you invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb? Then we see Jesus in all his glory. And I'm, I don't mean this for myself. I'm really nervous to talk about this. Not because I'm like nervous to talk, but because this is weighty, man. Like Jesus is a lot. And the fact that I'm trusted to speak about his revealed nature is scary. So let's talk about it. Um, I'm just gonna list off some understanding of a few things that Jesus has, um, has revealed himself to be. So he's on a white horse. It represents righteousness and purity. The name faithful and true, it speaks to the reality of God's faithfulness to fulfill his promises, to judge the wicked, to vindicate the saints, and for his name to be glorified. His eyes like fire speak to his judgment in this context. But I want to, again, heed to you the the. Jesus' eyes are like fire either way. I believe Pastor Andrew has said something of this nature before. But whether you choose to take heed to the warning to come out and break ties with compromise of Babylon will be how you view the eyes of fire, either the fire of judgment or the fire of purification. It's totally up to you. 
and your choice on which warning you're going to take part in. Christ has many crowns. I remember Pastor Alex talked about the authority that has been given by God to the dragon and the beast. The dragon has seven crowns. The beast had 10 crowns. Christ has many crowns. Amen? He has many crowns. It is innumerable, the crowns that have been cast to his feet and placed on his head. Not just the 24 elders, but each and every one of us have been and will be in eternity crowned with the righteousness of God. And it is our joy and privilege here on earth and for eternity to cast that at his feet. The crowns, in, the authority of Jesus is like no other. I don't mean to be offensive by all, but you know, like, your grandma might post like this picture of Jesus and the devil like arm wrestling and there's like storm clouds and stuff like that. You ever seen that before? If you've posted that, I'm sorry, I love you. That's just not true. That's just not true. Jesus and the devil don't fight. The devil has nothing on him whatsoever. This war that we're going to read about, it doesn't even happen. Jesus won at the cross. The powers of darkness have been won at the cross. And yes, through the church age, the devil has been given authority to test the, the saints, to test the church, to purify them, and to judge the wicked. But, but Christ's authority is always always greater. It is innumerable. He has no rival. He has all the cards in his hand. The scripture says he has a name that no one knows. The word know uh, in the Old Testament means a lot of things, but to know someone's name in Old Testament means to have control over them. And uh, Christ telling us that ain't nobody got control over him. Amen. Um, and in this current, this is too much to even bear a thought, but um, the reality is that what scripture has told us about Jesus is the only revelation we have of his name, right? It's limited here on earth. But in eternity, we get to know in and for eternity the knowledge of the reality of Jesus's name. Like when we get to heaven and it's all done, you're not gonna know everything about God immediately. You get to spend eternity getting to know, like deeply know in your heart and your mind, the reality of God's character. Isn't that beautiful? The, it, it mentions it two times, the, the blood on the end of Jesus's robe is an Old Testament understanding of God treading through the grapes of the wine press of God and God's judgment obviously is about to come. He's the word of God, right? John 1, 1, in the beginning was the word. He is in himself the word of God. Like the testimony of Jesus is the word of God and he is the word himself. He's bringing forth um, his prophetic fulfillment because he is themselves. The saints are, so Jesus is on a white horse. He's ready to make war. The saints are all behind him in white clothes, not soldiers' uniforms. And they're all on white horses to make the war against the, the beast and the second beast and to, um, to judge them. And the reality is that fight, like I said, is not a literal fight. Some people who read Revelation literally may believe that that is a literal fight, that Jesus is gonna like show up on earth and fight people. It ain't gonna happen. The reality is, the fight that they talk about here is a legal war. Now, I'm going to try my best to explain this, but the realities of the saints behind Jesus is the testimony to their own faith to witness to Jesus because of the persecution that they endured and didn't compromise. Because they didn't compromise, they now have the legal right to accuse the accuser and fight the battle, quote unquote, with Jesus in the judgment of the saints. Isn't that insane? 
That's amazing. Because of your perseverance and my perseverance, we get the legal right to help Jesus speak forth the witness of his victory. Amen? Amen. So persevere, church. I'm going to get there. (laughs) So this is a legal battle, not a literal one. That's why Pastor Andrew prays that demonic forces have been given legal right, and we rebuke that in moments. But... They have been given them. And we, because of the authority that Christ has and because of the legal right of our um, perseverance, have the ability to speak to those things, right? That's so good. Um, The the sword in his mouth in which he uses to quote unquote kill the, the unbelievers is his word. It's not a literal sword. It's his word that he uses to speak and enact judgment on those who reject the way of the lamb. And on his thigh is written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords, like we sang about. And um, that on your thigh, that's kind of weird singing about thighs. We did it the other week, but it's amazing. Um, The thigh is a symbol of where the sword would rest and also the symbol in which, I don't know if you've read the scripture before, but where you would place your hand under to swear an oath, bringing forth the reality that Jesus is absolute that his kingdom is absolute and where his sword would rest, that is where the proof of his kingdom is in reality. And in this last, oh boy, in this last chunk of Revelation 19, we get introduced to the supper of God, where the kings of the earth and all all those who have rejected the way of the lamb. Um, Liz, can I get you to come up when you have a sec? Um, all those who have rejected the way of the lamb will be judged and will receive judgment lest they come out of Babylon. So Babylon's in, in chapter, I'm not gonna read the whole thing, but at the end of chapter 19, Babylon's officially judged. The beast is officially judged. The false prophet is officially judged and it's over. Next, next week, the dragon's gonna be judged and it's like game over there, buddy. But this is it. Like I said, like you have two invitations to two different suppers, if you will. If you heed warning to the reality of the angel coming down and saying, come out of her, lest you take part in her sins. You can choose to be invited to the marriage supper of the lamb and be clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Or the opposite is the invitation to the the supper of God, where there is judgment waiting at the end of that. And again, I don't mean to be offensive. This isn't my word, this is scripture. But the reality is that in the last days, we will be judged for how we live. And that's for the Christian and unchristian alike. Non-Christian, unchristian is not a word. Non-Christian alike. So I have two calls for you today. If you're the Christian here in the house and the Holy Spirit has been burning in your heart to let go of sins in which you have compromised and not stayed faithful and true to Jesus whether that be idolatry, sexual immorality, sorcery, 
I know it sounds funny saying that these days, but dabbling in all that kind of stuff. Come out of her. The devil knows that Jesus exists. He confesses him. But you can't play both parties. James 4.4 says, You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend with the world makes himself an enemy of God. I can't put it any more simply. If you don't know Jesus here today, you are his enemy. And there's an open invitation to the marriage supper of the Lamb in which the bride of Christ is rejoined with our beloved at the end of time. I deeply long for each and every one of us to be invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. If you do not stop your sin and come out of the world, the, the supper of God, the judgment of God is waiting for you. And I say that out of love. Here's the reality. Right now, Jesus is giving you a choice, not me. I'm gonna call you to respond and if no one responds, that's cool. You won't hurt my ego, it's fine. You're not rejecting me. If you are rejecting anybody, it's Jesus. So I'm gonna give you a second just to close your eyes and allow the Holy Spirit be the one to prompt your hearts to response. Call one for the Christian who has compromised their faith and taken part in Babylon who has chosen to step outside of the kingdom of God and step inside to the world. Stop your sin now. Break off agreements with the demonic forces at work that you're taking part in. And if there is anybody who does not know Jesus today here in this place, I pray that the Spirit of God has gripped your heart and is calling you to a saving faith and knowledge in Him. It's not just this moment, it's a lifetime, like I said, of faithfulness and character and in heart, but it starts in a moment. If the Holy Spirit is gripping your heart for the Christian or the non-Christian, that the scriptures of Revelation has prompted you to. I'm gonna invite you to stand, whether that be you cutting ties with sin as the Christian or you never knowing Jesus, I'm gonna invite you to stand. And if you don't, that's okay, I'll be fine. If you're responding to Jesus like for real, for the very first time, stand.
I could just invite, if you're still standing, that's fantastic. If I could invite the church to open their eyes and look around, not at these people, but celebrate these people for responding to Jesus. Amen. If one, yeah. If, um, if one of these people who are standing here, you guys can sit down. If one of these people who are standing here today accepted Jesus for the first time, there's a great celebration in heaven. And this is the first day of the rest of your life. If you did, um, we'll, we'll be here after the service or whatever to, to pray with you. But if you did accept Jesus Christ for the first time and uh, break ties with the world and join to Christ, um, obviously that's not a secret thing. So come tell somebody, um, come tell one of us and we wanna pray with you and honor you, give you a Bible if you don't have one and walk with you in that way. Um, but Jesus is faithful and true, amen? And he uh, not only is going to win, but has won. So for, for those of you who are suffering persecution, be steadfast and faithful and remain in perseverance because that gives you the right. And it gives you the, <laughs> I haven't fully formulated these realities, but I, I've experienced some things, <laughs> as you know. And the reality um, is that that which we experience on earth is so beautiful because we'll never be able to do that in eternity. Persecution will be done, suffering will be done. But the suffering that we get the privilege of experiencing here today, you'll never get that chance. So glorify God with it. Amen.